0: So we're going to talk about this image-bearing thing, number seven. That I put that there to remind me how many times I've preached on this thing, thing sort of. But we're going to talk about uh, our role as image-bearers in relationship to new creation. And so I've got to re- review that new creation concept a little bit and set it in context. I just thought this this verse meant something. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And if you keep in mind, he said he was the light of the world. That was one of his I am declarations. I am the light of the world. And to be equated with Jesus always seemed so abstractly special to me. Meaning, okay, I'm not willing to say that what you said isn't true, but I don't know how that works, so I'm just going to believe, okay, you said I'm the light of the world, so I'm the light of the world. Now I have something to kind of plug that into with the idea of being an image-bearer and new creation. And then, remember, we got to the image-bearing thing a little bit by trying to figure out just how seriously to take what Jesus said in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So I think we're making progress on taking that seriously. And I think we should take this seriously. You're the light of the world. So it's part of our image-bearing understanding. So... uh, this is that kind of overall little outline we've been working our way through. Uh, Jesus as the Messiah, forgives uh, through, through Him, Father forgives sins, and that's kind of the thing that links us back to the whole flow of the covenants all the way from Israel forward, all the way from creation forward, really. And then there's the, the rulers and powers stripped of authority. There's some verses there we're going to go back and look again. And then last week, we concentrated on these highlighted areas, which is the nature of us as image bearers, the nature of our image bearing. So I want to review that super quick. Adam and Eve, and and that little thing in red is sort of the summary statement. So Adam and Eve plus others in humanity, if you keep going reading in the story, you see that a lot of authority was vested in people. It was, uh, uh, Abraham and it was, it was vested in even the trouble that the world got into, the Tower of Babel and stuff. There were people there that were using that image bearing authority without honoring the Creator for it, and it created some issues. But one of the things that we can understand about image-bearing is that we're representatives through whom authority, rule, and order is manifest. So just let that rest on you. Just let that sit in your mind. Authority, rule, and order is designed to be manifested as we reflect, as we are image-bearing, as we bear God's image, and as we bear the, the image of humanity and creation back to God. Abraham and his people... Uh, and I was thinking in terms of both his sons, uh, his son, and then his the, the generations after that. And um, there's probably even something good to to, to realize about about uh, Ishmael and uh, how God honors this idea of image bearing, even if you're not in the line of promise or something along those lines. And I don't want to make a huge thing of that. But another characteristic of an image bearer is someone who is a friend. A friend of God's through who God's heart and blessing manifest. Okay. And then Moses, Aaron, and, uh, that can carry on through Joshua, can carry on through a number of the priests and so on, as an authority through whom power and works of power manifest. And you remember that if, if uh, you ask, uh, 99 out of 100 people who, who, uh, did the plagues on Egypt, everybody would say God. Well, God did, but every single one of them was done by Moses' hand. God said, you know, stick out your... Or, or he said, the earlier passages of Scripture than this, it was that unique thing where God said, okay, tell Aaron to take his rod and touch the, the sand. And the sand turned into flies. Tell Aaron to take his rod and touch the water. And the water turned into blood. So the point we wanted to try to get out of that is that God is taking our position, our stature as an image bearer seriously in really big events, like the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. He's taking it really seriously in Abraham's case where Abraham's feet became the instrument by which the promised land was defined. Wherever you walk, I'm going to give this to you. Now, I just always thought of that as, a okay. But I'm starting to see that there's stuff here that's different. There's, you know, what does God do that he doesn't do through his His image-bearing people in this earth? And I think I've really dramatically underestimated or overestimated what he's willing to do and underestimated what he does, in fact, do and how he plays it. There's other scriptures that uh, indicate stuff like this that, again, I've always taken as a one-off, like, God does nothing without first informing his prophets, you know? Is that because he wants those things declared and that's part of the doing? I think so. Um, he used shepherds alongside angels in the announcement of Jesus. Why? Because that's how he rules. That's how his government is. That's what's happening. Okay? Then uh, we looked up in the New Testament at Paul and uh, I want to extend that and I want to show you a very important, I think, connection or projection that I want you to have in your hearts. Paul's easy to understand being used because he was called as an apostle, right? And and the, the whole thing is there, but stand up and go to your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you to a minister, to witness, and so on, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among those. So Paul was instrumental in God's desire to reach the Gentiles with his love. Now, we all know that, and we attribute that probably to his apostolic calling or whatever, but I think under that, under the the whole structure of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, under the whole structure of spiritual gifts, there is God's way of manifesting his kingdom on the earth through image bearers. So I said something on Tuesday that that uh, Holly made me repeat because she liked the way it sounded, and I I kind of did, and I hadn't thought of it before. There is a sense I think that when we pray as Jesus instructed us to pray, uh, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth as it is to heaven, as it is in heaven." We ought to think of ourselves as the answer to that prayer. And when we don't, when we don't, we have a tendency to think that praying is a remote operation or that ministry is a remote operation where we're trying to get something down from God to do down here. Whereas it may very well, in fact, be what God's trying to do is get something through us. And I think we can all... So these aren't like revolutionary new concepts at all, I don't think. All of us have thought this, heard it. We all thought about anointing and we've all thought about ministry and calling. But I just, I want to suggest that there's something more to it than we've given it credit for. And when we begin to discover the more that there is to it, a lot of things are going to fall in place. And I believe that that kingdom response that we've all been looking for is going to have a better chance of coming out. So. Now, the apostles, you can write that off because he was obviously singularly called and a very special individual. No question about it. Acts 8 talks about another guy. He's called too, but he wasn't an apostle. He is a deacon. He was called to respond to a mess in the church. How many of you have ever gotten involved in a situation that was literally because you were available to try to solve a mess? a relational mess, you know. So I'm suggesting that's grounds as an image bearer for God to go, oh goody, I can work through you. And that's what it says with Philip. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds were with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. And there was such a great... Outpouring and a great revival and a great awakening to God down there that the official apostles had to eventually make a visit down to that area to kind of, you know, put the imprimatur of power on it. But what God did is he chose a guy who was originally a part of a small group of, of men who were chosen to try to keep the rabble, uh, rousers appeased by taking care of the administration of feeding the widows. Image bearing, finding its expression in a relatively regular guy who I'm sure Philip was a wonderful guy. And us. So this then is where we come to. We come to the place where do you believe? Will you believe? Can you believe? Can I believe that we, in the same way that Adam and Eve were created as image bearers of God, bear that image? And that because of the work of Christ, our capacity as image bearers has been restored. And it's not fundamentally based on a ministry call or on that kind of an anointing. It is fundamentally based on who God made us to be in the first place. And I think there's something important about bringing that, bringing our hopes of ministry, bringing our hopes of of uh service, all that stuff, bringing that into a context that is that fundamental. Because then in those areas, we're going to see ourselves as children of the Father. We're going to see ourselves as reflecting His image. We're going to see ourselves as the people who can believe that Jesus meant what He said when He said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Make sense? And so I just went back and looked at the 1720. Uh, I believe it's a very inclusive statement. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, I see now, because I'm looking for it, and my, my eyes are tuned to it, I see a continuation there. How many of you believe in Jesus in part because of some of the words of the apostles? I did. I mean... Now it's, it's stating the obvious for the most part, right? But that means that we're a part now of revealing that same thing to others in the world so that they may believe. Now, are we doing that as Christians? Yes. Are we doing that as evangelists? Maybe. Are we doing it as teachers or you know, sure. But fundamentally, we're doing it as children of God, and we're doing it as people made in the image of God. Image bearers, image reflectors. And then, since that applies to us now, then you can jump to Romans 8, which I'm not going to have time to do today, but you can jump to Romans 8, and that mysterious thing about creation waiting for the revelation of the children of God begins to make some sense. Because just like Eden was a microcosm of what God had designed of the, of the merger of heaven and earth, the creation of heaven and earth together, and he was going through man to do it. That is still the plan. It just got interrupted for a while. All right. So tonight's emphasis is going to be on this area. Uh, that Mankind and nations were slaves to controlling spiritual, non-divine, demonic power, and sin gave those powers functional authority. And once sin was revoked, that authority was revoked. And... Um, and then also globally, one of the aspects of image bearers being restored and repentance opened up is that Jesus' new creation kingdom has come and is growing through belief and repentance. And so today, Alan, you you started us out talking about a little simple uh, testimony that is not really very simple at all. It's signs and evidence on a moment-by-moment basis that God is with us in our lives. And again, I believed that for a lot of years, but I mostly believed it as if that were some gracious act that He extended from someplace out in heaven toward me. But now I'm beginning to try to think about it as, no, in Him, Paul was right. We live and move and have our being. And He has created a redemptive structure, a redemptive work, that allows God to be literally with us in our homes, with us in our efforts, with us in our work, with us in our sleep. And that's what I think we're, we're seeing there. So, um, I'm not going to, you guys remember the initial talk about this idea that those, <sighs> okay. So, uh, just one point I want to make before we go on. And then we'll have a chance to look at it in more detail there. When I say that, uh, mankind and nations were slaves to controlling spiritual non-divine demonic power, what that means is there was very little chance, if any, And I don't know. I don't know how to confirm that. But there was very little chance of any of wandering into some pagan nation prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus and trying to elicit repentance from them. Or to to say, you know, I, I want to forgive you. Because there was no structure for it. These people, these cultures were under the sway of principalities and powers and rulers. Yes, sir? So that's nothing that I've really thought of. So no matter how harsh it seems today, no matter how paganistic certain elements of our culture seem today, no matter how dark it is, no matter how personally vindictive or evil certain things culturally or politically or economically feel, they're not the same as they were before Jesus died they they're not the same as they were before the messiah made his sacrifice and drew us all into himself they're different and it behooves us to understand that difference and to begin to have some confidence as what people who want things to be better sure if you want to do it that way but as image bearers as the ones who are now in this place released back into that position of authority and purpose. And so that's the significance of this part, and it's growing. And you can see it. You can see it. Uh, last night, I watched a sh- uh, short little uh, tribute and clip that Tucker Carlson on Fox News did for Queen Elizabeth, and he was kind of frustrated at how many people, both here and in other places around the world, were... Uh, uh, Really wishing her horrible things and just just really terrible things. Like, uh, and and the people that he selected, and I don't know who else was doing that, but the people he selected were like activists for stuff that reflected back on the fact that oh, we're glad she's dead because she was a monarch over a, a white supremacist col- colony thing and all this kind of stuff. And I th- I just so appreciated the way Tucker handled it because he went back and he started pointing out. The, the He said, in an ideal world, everybody would just be a sovereign nation, but we don't live in an ideal world, and especially we didn't live in an ideal world back in the 50s and the 60s, when things, and he showed a picture of this beautiful train station in Bombay, India. And he says, this is what the British people built. It's the most spectacular building in the whole of India, and it hasn't been duplicated since then. And then he went through some harsh kind of comparisons, but he said, you know, uh, the colonization that took place They're in Uganda. When the Britons pulled out, they ended up with Idi Amin, who was a cannibal, leading them for a number of years. And he wasn't even the worst of the African dictators that came out. So, you know, things are different now. And and the other thing down there is that uh, once sin was forgiven, the authority was actually revoked, but then you would ask, well, is there no more demonic influence in the world? Of course, there is, because... They now are are reduced to lying and deceiving and, and conning people into surrendering their image-bearing authority to them. And I think that's what we face in a lot. And so that's why people can change and people can repent. All right. So here are the the, the bases of thinking about this new creation. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, there's going to be some detail that we're going to have to go into. Not tonight, but over the next couple of weeks. And I think probably a couple of weeks will be enough to get it. Uh, I want us to begin to think of the life that we live, the, the realm in which we enjoy Jesus presence in our lives. Uh, the reason we can thank him for little things because this new creation is, is real. Now, the reason I want us to think this way, and I think it's super important is, is twofold. One. If we push off our expectations about the manifestation of the kingdom of God to the future as a reward, for instance, for being good people now or something like that, we're going to miss a huge point of the reality of God's presence in our midst. And the second, if we turn it into a reward, we are very vulnerable to what N.T. Wright calls the platonization of the gospel. And we have heaven off out here someplace and... And so we're going to have to challenge that thinking because I guarantee you every single one of us in this room grew up thinking that uh, from the time we were in church because that's just what we've all been taught. The heaven's out there, and ultimately it's our reward for coming back. I mean, it's our reward when Jesus comes back as he's, thus we'll always be with the Lord, but they forget that the whole coming back is so that the throne of God can be with men, and it's very confusing. And so the two remaining things in this whole... Series that we've got to talk about is we've got to get grounded a little bit in our way to think about the new creation being active right now and being seamlessly connected with the future. And then uh, I'm finally going to have to teach on eschatology a little bit because the wrong picture of the end will obscure the reality of the present. Okay. So let's look at some of these. I don't have them up on the board. I have to use an actual printed Bible. So uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14-19, you guys probably know that verse pretty well. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Okay, think about something just real quick. The nature of new creation that Jesus ushered in is he restored the ability for us to repent and to choose to live for Him instead of for ourselves. Does He force us all to do that? No. Does He empower us to do that by the Spirit? Yes. The invitation is real. The structure was changed. And that's what I mean by saying, if you were to go back several hundred years before the death and resurrection of Christ, I don't think that you would find people that had the ability to stop living for themselves, stop living out of fear or any of these things, because they were under the sway of these demonic principalities and so on. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, that has always been an exciting passage to me, but also a confusing one. Because the indication there is that God isn't counting anyone's sins against him. But sins still play a major role in the things about this and about belief and all this kind of stuff. But if we see it in light of new creation being actually ushered in by Jesus, then it begins to make some sense. So, has God forgiven everyone's sins? Yes. Does He count them against them? No. Sins are no longer the defining issue. What the defining issue is, is belief. The defining issue is repentance. The defining issue is relationship. The defining issue is re-engaging with your humanity as an image bearer. And then it goes on, you know, to say, uh, therefore as ambassadors, we beg you, be reconciled to God. Why? Because you're not? No. Because now you can be. Because you can step into it now. That's the nature of new creation. And the reason you can step into it is because God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we could become. And now the words become help us understand, Lord, if you won this victory, why isn't it all already manifest? Because we are image bearers, and God does not withdraw that stature and that authority from us. And so if we're still spending our life Using our image-bearing authority in selfish ways and in ways that don't acknowledge God, we have the capacity to cause trouble. Just like men have always had that capacity. We can build towers of Babel. We can so corrupt the earth that a flood was required. We can be doing good one day, like David, in certain instances, and then dumb the next, like David, in certain instances. But Jesus is, has changed the system now so that this door of repentance is wide open. So repentance comes as a possibility of that. So that's uh, the first principle. In this new age, God is reconciled to the world. And there's a bunch of other scriptures that we're going to go when we get into the detail of any of these points. One of those is like, uh, he's made peace with us. You know, The dividing wall of hostility is down between us and it, uh, Jews or between us and one another. Uh, we're at peace with God. No longer are we alienated and hostile in mind, and engaged in evil deeds. Necessarily, we can choose to be, but we don't have to be, and that's what this is about. Second one is the people's sins are forgiven. So I want to look over here at Hebrews. Let's see where that's at. You guys know I love this chapter eight. The reason for all the things in the new covenant about uh, God being our our God, us being His people. Uh, law been written in our hearts and minds, people knowing the Lord. All of that is because it says, for I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. That's the nature, the foundation of this new creation is the forgiveness of our sins that happened by the Lamb who was slain before the foundation world, who in fact has taken away the sins of the world. And I believe he did it there on that cross. Uh, Colossians. One I'm going to back up to 13. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now let me ask you just to think about this with me for a second because this is just an introduction to think more deeply about the new creation. When you've read that verse or had it read to you or studied it or whatever before for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins did you think about it as being in one place the domain of darkness stumbling around not able to see and that somehow what Jesus did was pick you up and take you someplace else I did I did Now, I'm not saying that there's not a sense in which that doesn't speak a truth, but I don't think it's the primary sense. I think that the dominion of darkness was broken on the cross when these principalities and powers were were stripped of their authority. And we're going to read another verse in just a second in Colossians, just a little bit further on, where it says that Everything that was against us was taken away. So I don't think we had to move locations as much as we were brought into the victory that Jesus had over these principalities and powers, and that we now live in that, and that we are now, in our image-bearing capacity, revealing that and releasing that in what we say and what we do and who we are. Okay? Okay. So the rulers and the powers are stripped. Let me read this one to you. Yeah, starting 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He had taken it, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Our freedom comes from that. The next verse says, therefore don't let anybody judge you on on what you do, or days you worship, or anything like that. You see how this defeat of the enemy wasn't just a general victory on the part of Jesus. It was a specific victory on the cross while we were being drawn into him I don't understand all that but I'm trying to keep this stuff fresh in my mind mixed together so Jesus stripped these principalities and powers of their ruling authority that they had had prior to this and uh, the situation was such that Paul later says in another place if they had known if the rulers and authorities had known whether earthly Or demonic. They would never have crucified the Lord of glory because it just undid their whole system. And you can see it because an empire as powerful as Rome fell in just a couple of hundred years after this. From the, it was, it was turned into a Christian. Now, did it have some corruption and things in it? Of course, but it was radically changed. This act on the cross and the people, image bearers that were released as a result of it did what the Gauls couldn't do, what the Huns couldn't do, what nobody else could do. The, the, the Celts, the Egyptians, yeah, the Germanic tribes. It brought transformation to the Roman Empire. And it's done that everywhere it's gone. Everywhere it's gone. And not through the sword. And when we get distracted and make it by force like that, it just complicates things a lot. But it, it's it's one through love. It's one through benevolence. It's one through bearing the image of the one that we were created in. So anyway, repentance has now been granted and empowered. Okay? So let me look at Acts and read that to you. Acts 5. Okay. So this is uh, Peter preaching early on there. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. The purpose of the exaltation of Jesus to his princely prince of peace, king of kings, lord of lords status, is to grant repentance. So this new kingdom is a place where regardless of what you've done, regardless of what your background is, repentance is available. And we have to learn to keep that in mind, because regardless of what somebody's done to us, repentance is available to them. Regardless of the offenses to us, if we understand our image-bearing reality, we have to understand that the goal of this thing is repentance. And forgiveness is what makes room for that repentance. And I know that's something we've got to look at more in detail because we have a tendency to think that repentance of necessity precedes forgiveness. But it can't have if you think about it. Forgiveness was something that was gained, uh, Hebrews says, um, by one sacrifice at one time for all. And there's no more sacrifices offered for forgiveness. The shortfall of forgiveness in the Old Covenant and in Israel and in the temple was that it had to be repeated. But that was resolved in Christ. So forgiveness is the very thing which we realize when we repent because it already exists. It creates the opportunity. Therefore, When we forgive somebody, we are bearing the reality of the image of the cross. We are bearing the reality of the image of the Prince that is ascended and glorified. We are bearing the reality of His marks. And thus opening up the possibility of repentance and change for the person, or the people, or the people groups, or the nation, or whatever the case is. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why it'll... For me, it has already begun to change the way I pray, and it also adds a reason to pray. Because, like I know, Ronnie, we've had a couple of conversations. I, I don't, I don't fully get the point of prayer. Lord, you already know what people need. You need us just to say it. Well, it's probably more related to this idea of the administration of image-bearing in the new creation. That that's just how God does it. You know, that's just how God does it. So, anyway, then. Uh, lest you think it be identified only with Israel Acts 11 This is after the council when uh, you know Peter came back after uh, Cornelius's experience in the Gentiles being given faith so 11:18 when they heard this they quieted down and glorified God saying well then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life Okay. So the new creation is a place where there is repentance granted. Now, do we still have to repent? Of course. God says uh in uh, or Peter describes the heart of the Father relative to people getting saved and stuff, uh in this way in Second Peter three nine, he says that God who desires that uh no one perish, but that all come to repentance. So it matters. In Timothy, God desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. In other words, there's a process. There's a because. And this is the kingdom. This is the nature of the kingdom. This is the new creation order that was instituted by the cross that makes all that possible. Okay? Make sense? All right. In Christ, men and women are new creations themselves. And that... Okay, so uh, this is back in the... the, um, Corinthian passage, second Corinthians. Let's see where we are here. Okay, so 15 uh, or 5, 16, and 17. Let me read that again to you. We've already read that one time. Therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. All right, now let me stop just for a second. That isn't just some sort of peculiar Christian redemptive rule that we have to follow. It is because the release of the new creation work on the cross by Jesus has touched the life of every person. And they are no longer being judged according to the flesh because God's not counting their sins against them. They are, they are being judged. And I don't want to get into too much detail about that because it would be a rabbit trail that I'm not prepared to go down. But they are being judged by being in Christ. By believing in Christ, by the work that he did, manifesting in them, they're actually even, we are actually even judged by failures to achieve our own humanity. Because our humanity is not the byproduct of the life we live. Our humanity is the direct result and is identified and defined by what God created us to be, which is image bearers in his kingdom. Okay? Yes, sir. Can you go back to repentance? Okay, because I think it's a word that we really don't understand. Yeah, we because you we talk, you said it's not about sin, but then you say repentance, and immediately repent of my sins. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So just explain what is. I mean, because it's really not that difficult. I, okay, all right. So what, do you want to give it a shot? To me, it was going, Wow, well, God, you're here. You love me. I believe in you now. I, I think the only thing I'd add to that is that would be an act of repentance if you at one point didn't know he was there, didn't know he loved you, believed otherwise, and you changed your mind about that. Yeah, it's it, it is changing your mind, but it's very specifically changing your mind out of a deception out of a false picture into a true picture. Well, what do we know the true pictures are? We know the true pictures because of what Jesus released on the cross. And again, the reason forgiveness allows for repentance more so than repentance creates forgiveness is because forgiveness puts us in that position to go, oh, wow, I thought you were my enemy, God. And I thought so because I... The way I saw all the individual events in my life added up to the conclusion, God doesn't care. God's not here. God's indifferent. God's mad at me, whatever the case is. That's not the truth. I'm not saying the events don't, can't be interpreted that way, but Jesus utterly reinterpreted life when he came and gave himself for us. And so repentance is, yes, changing your mind and there's a, there's a, an upness to it to come up and into who God is. And I, I think that's a, a pretty powerful, powerful way to think about it. So that's a good question, Richard. And that's, so now, and, and that kind of repentance makes a lot more sense in a new creation kind of environment where the work is already done. We're all being called where we're reconciled. We're calling now to be reconciled, uh, where we tell somebody, there's no point in you running from God anymore because there's no reason. He has reconciled you in Christ. And so, and that's why Jesus was comfortable, I think, saying that the Holy Spirit was going to convict the world of sin because they don't believe in me. Not of sin because they did this, they did that, they did this, they failed to do that. But of sin because they don't believe in me. That only makes sense in the broader context of something like new creation understanding happening on the cross. Uh, Okay, so that's 16. And then 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled himself through Christ. So, men and women are, in fact, new creations now because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the grave, and in his resurrection. Are all of us living like that? No, because we don't know, because we haven't been persuaded, because it's never dawned on us, because we've been deceived, because we've got this huge momentum going in our life for agreeing with the enemy on lies about us and everything. But but it is a fact, and that is a fact that we as image bearers who recognize it can have with tremendous assurance, no matter where God sends us, no matter who we encounter, no matter who we bump into in the course of our daily life, they are reconciled to God. They are a new creation. Okay? And then we have one more. Go ahead.
1: This really great verse that I believe you read a little while ago, I just wanted to remind us of it. It's Galatians one fifteen. Um, But it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me. And this is Paul. So
0: Yeah. So there's the missing knowledge. People living life who don't know that Jesus is in them in some form or another. And that we'll have to talk about in a little bit more detail when we talk about the whole flow of ministry and eschatology because you have to go back and realize that when Peter uh, was describing what was going on during the day of Pentecost, he said, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And what Joel said is, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. New creation, when we allow it to be the defining uh, sort of first manifestation of victory, of, of God's redemptive plan, then all of a sudden we can realize that it touches the whole world. Now, is there still a reason to go out into the world and let them know? That there's such a thing as new creation. Of course there is. Because Paul says, how are they going to know if they don't hear? So yes, all that's here, but it, it's, it's a dr- dramatic change in the confidence level. There's no, nothing you can want to do or say or nobody you can want to touch that has not already been touched by the new creation. It has, they've already been touched by the reconciliation and the reconciling work of God. You just have to. Reflect the reality. And anyway, and then this is one that is going to lead us into kind of a relook at perhaps some of our eschatological thoughts. New creation is the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. There is a seamlessness. Now I could stand here for half an hour telling you what I'm not saying. Okay. I'm not saying Jesus is not returning. I'm not saying that there's not events, there's not prophetic things that happen. I'm not saying there's not various things that happen on the earth. What I am saying is that what we see when we see and hear what it talks about in the new heaven and the new earth, what we see is already begun. It's not something in the far distant future that we're pinning our hopes on. And trying to just keep it fresh in our imagination and have, have faith, have faith, have faith so that we can survive how crappy it is today. The crappiness of our day today is just a want of the manifestation of new creation. And we play a role in changing that. And so that's going to cause us to have to now. I think there's a lot of room within what we're going to look at, at how the new creation eventually manifests and and becomes uh, the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, We'll dig into the scripture and try to figure that out. And we don't have to agree. And, you know, uh, precious things that a lot of us believe will probably survive. But the reality is there's a seamlessness between what Jesus did on the cross and what, in fact, is going to happen in the end of the age. And that's part of it. So I'll read a couple of these things to you just to let you know where I'm kind of rooting those in Scripture. All right, so 1 Corinthians 15, 21-28. Let me read that one real quick. But now, oh, this is verse 20. But now has Christ been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each one his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and after that, those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when his hand, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Now, this explains in ways that I don't think we probably fully appreciate what is happening in the new creation right now. It is the process of Jesus reigning and bringing into submission all the kingdoms of the earth. You can see it. You can see it if you just look at history as a longer scope. From the moment that he came out of the grave, the world began to be infected by the glory of the kingdom of God. There are still places... There's still needs, but it's real. It's real, and it is going to culminate in what our hope is regarding the return of Jesus and the uh, new heavens and the new earth. And then that leads to the last scripture that I'm going to share with you, uh, Acts chapter 3. This is in Peter's first sermon, and he says, Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. When Peter preached that to those uh, Jews surrounding him there in Jerusalem after Pentecost and so on, do you think that any of them experienced the times of refreshing when they repented and believed in their lifetime? Sure they did. Sure they did, even though there was some terrible things coming to Jerusalem after this. So the realization of this can happen and does happen every day on this earth now. But it goes more. Look. Uh, so that refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. So the new creation is a byproduct of of the work Jesus did on the cross, the victory He had over the grave, and the ascension and the being seated at the right hand of the Father, and us being seated with Him there. And it's happening now. And it's bringing about victory now. And it's leading unflinchingly towards the new heaven and the new earth. That's why we need to start thinking about this new creation, because it'll help pull heaven and earth back together in our thinking. Pull the redemptive plan to the core of it. It'll keep the distance and the the dualism and the dichotomies out of it. So does that make sense? Okay. Unfortunately, I'm not going to have time to do my little sketchy thing, but I'll start next week with that. Well, it's time. Kids are coming. You guys need to play. I need to worship. Yeah. Yeah. Think about how you've seen creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How you've seen heaven and earth. How you've seen Eden illustrated. More often than not, they're separate sort of things. I'm going to show you that they're not. Yes, Vicki. Yeah, any questions, you guys, before we switch to worship? Any thoughts? Any comments? Any objections? I'll go to the next slide. We have... yes sir
1: the language of the previous scripture therefore if anyone is in Christ um, the language I think has caused has given permission for us to cause that to be a pivotal point where we consider the saved versus the unsaved the people who've said the prayer versus the ones who haven't and so I'm not entirely sure if if the language because you know how if anyone is in new Christ, is that sarcastic? Because we all we're we're exploring the idea that we are a new creation, and and so, um, or is the is the awareness or the point of belief or the continual points of belief where we're continuing to find those uh, those joyous spots where we can we can repent of oh I see. What it is you mean by this, or I understand now something new. Uh, is, is, is that, are those instances being reflected in that verse, or is it strictly just really talking about we? It's not that, uh, if we are, he's really saying we are, uh, a new creation. And the language is, and how it was translated was just a little funky, uh, that,
0: lean towards your first version of that. But I would add that the thing that makes that version sometimes look one way, sometimes look another, sometimes feel conditional, sometimes feel asserting, is because the struggle is literally talking about something that at one moment can only be seen clearly from God's point of reference, and at the next moment can only be seen clearly to respond From our point of reference. And so I think that if we settle the issue that new creation is a finished deal that is now in order, how do you say that word? In I don't know how to say it. Inordinately? No. It's moving steadily. (laughs) It's moving exorbitant. I don't know, never mind. I don't really, I don't know how to pronounce the word. That's embarrassing. It's inextricably. It's moving steadily from its reality that God sees as clear as a bell and functions in 100% to where the world will see it clear as a bell and function with it 100%. And if you read about the, the, the activities in the new heaven and the new earth, the glory of the nations will be coming in because the victory has been won over all those false glories. So... I think, Jeremy, that, that, uh, that's a great question. And I think over the course of the next two, three weeks, we're going to have to look at, at the, the shift in perspective points to see if that explains that language rather than just, I'm, I'm not uh, quick to just say, Oh, it was just translated wrong. Uh, but I'm also not quick to bow to the pressure of 40 years of doctrinal conditioning saying that it's just conditional. So, uh, somewhere in there I think we'll be able to switch this back and forth.
1: Ronnie? Happy birthday, Amy. Could you read, is it Acts 3.19? It's on the...
0: Mm -hmm. Acts 3.19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's 19.
1: That's very nice. I like that. But I'm wondering why the sins would be wiped away if God will remember our sins no more. Is it our own holding on to those sins?
0: Versus... Or the effect that they have on us? Just because God doesn't hold our, uh, our sins to our account, like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, doesn't mean that they don't do damage to us, or they aren't doing damage to us, or they can't do damage to us. Okay. Thanks. Okay. And I think that is part of what's going on there. Any others before I turn over to worship? I'm going to pray just for a second. (sighs) Father, we have spent a long time, I have, in my life, in the comfortableness and the convenience of putting all the really good stuff off to the future so that it's not so confusing why there's so much bad stuff here. But it has also, in doing so, kept my eyes dull to the really good stuff that's going on here. And so I ask that as we dig into this absolute reality of new creation and its continual work in Christ by the Spirit through us as image bearers and awakening and infecting, passing on through the Gospel, the awakening to that image-bearer status, that it's leading us to the ultimate end of Your redemption. I pray that You'll open our eyes to the reality of new creation and the ability it gives us to do what we testified about today, which people are already doing, which is to see Your presence and Your goodness, the refreshing of that presence manifest in our lives on the daily journeys that we walk. So I give you this stuff, Lord. Help me to speak it as clearly as possible. Holy Spirit, work in the hearts of everybody here that hears it, everybody that hears it online. Work in our hearts so that we can experience the reality of that refreshing as a result of the magnificent gift and finished work of new creation that you won for us on the cross, in the grave, and in your resurrection and ascension. I ask for this in Jesus' name. I ask You, Holy Spirit, to work it out in our lives. And I trust You to do it, Father. Amen.